Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. I'm delighted to announce that the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast is now being sponsored by TheHerbTender.com. And as we all know, modern life can feel pressurized and at any one time, our bodies are dealing with a range of stress factors that could be physical, mental, emotional, biological, or environmental, and even more so with ADHD. So these supplements have been designed with ADHD in mind due to one of the co-founders being diagnosed later on in life. And the Herb Tender offers a range of different supplements, all formulated with adaptogens and functional mushrooms to help manage the stresses of modern day living, enabling us to live a healthier, calmer and more focused life. Now, adaptogens may sound like a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but what they do is powerful. They can find equilibrium, whatever the cause of the imbalance, and they possess numerous beneficial powers from reducing stress to aiding sleep to enhancing focus and performance and immunity. So the Herb Tender supplements are expertly formulated and they are naturally effective. So these herbs have been used safely for centuries. These powerful, intelligent herbs and mushrooms normalize our internal systems, regulate physiological function and restore metabolic balance. Now, I've been taking these supplements regularly for the past few weeks and can really notice a difference, which is why I'm talking about them today on the podcast. And as you probably know, I'm a firm believer in building our resilience and empowering ourselves with new and evolving tools, which is why I love the Herb Tender supplements, because they support the body's ability to recalibrate in the face of stress. Now, I have a few favourites of mine and probably for anyone with ADHD. These ones include the Focus and Clarity supplement, which has obvious benefits for our ADHD brains taken during the day. So whenever you need to get your head down and focus, um, I would take these about an hour before and they are fantastic. And there's another one called the Calm and Collected, which is amazing. I take this at the end of the day, sort of winding down in the evening when we sort of just need to make that shift that we don't have to be productive anymore. It helps manage our anxiety and contributes to better sleep and even helps us wake up feeling calmer in the morning. So the Herb Tender are kindly offering my UK listeners a one-week trial pouch of either the Calm and Collected or the Focus and Clarity. So all you have to do is pay for the shipping. So this is a great opportunity to try before you properly buy. And I do apologise that this is only at the moment for my UK listeners. So we've created a link for each product. Just head to the show notes and you will find a link to getting the Focus and Clarity and the Calm and Collected supplements for free with just the postage that needs paying. And if you are interested in learning more about the different supplements, head to the-herbtender.com. Now on to the podcast. So welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I am Kate Moore Youssef. I'm your host. And today I have Alex Campbell. Now, Alex is an ADHD specialist. He's a psychotherapist. He's a coach and he's a mental health first aid trainer and he is here today to talk about some really interesting topics um one of them being self-compassion now alex welcome to the podcast mm. i'm so excited to, to dive into so many different subjects firstly i wanted to just put it out there that you were one of the first people to be diagnosed all the way back in in 1990 with adhd and i yeah. bring this up into conversation because a lot of the people you know who i deal with are getting diagnoses much later on in life so it's fascinating to to be able to actually talk to someone that's lived you know their whole adult life and teenage life yeah. as, a, as someone with adhd how has that helped you and how has that hindered you knowing that you've had ADHD your whole life yeah it's a good question because there's a lot of assumptions about me that's me when I say this uh, also I want to caveat 
I feel quite privileged that I'm being featured on a women's well-being podcast. I love it. Thank you for having me, by the way. I just wanted to start with that. I feel really you No, so much. thank you. And I'm very interested because there's no reason why men can't help women with their, their well-being. And there's lots of knowledge there. And I know that a lot of, actually, I know that a lot of men listen to this podcast because they listen to it because they are wanting to help a partner um, or a daughter or something like that. So actually, we do have some male listeners, despite the, the name of the podcast. So you are very, very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I also don't kind of identify as being very, very man. I feel like I, as a therapist, there's a part of me that really enjoys the embodiment of, of male and female, if that makes sense. Like it's a really, um, I don't want it to be like a yin and yang thing, but I don't know. There's a, there's an energy that people feel when I work with them as a therapist or a coach, which kind of is a, there's like a flow, I guess. So I, I felt really I was really looking forward to this. Um, so I just want to say that. So yeah, picking up on your, your, your question, there's a part of me that feels really privileged to have been one of the first people and it's a bit of a dopamine kick being like, I was one of the first, but being diagnosed in the 90s is possibly one of the hardest times, I think, to be diagnosed because of the lack of research and the lack of understanding. And whilst... It did help me get some incredible support. Like I had some of the most amazing tutors and people that supported me during that time, mainly around the academia. The bit looking back now that was lacking was the social integration. And, you know, we know that children, their prefrontal cortex, that front part of the brain behind your forehead is there's a developmental delay versus children who don't have ADHD. So I can see now when I look back as a kid that they were very much targeting kind of, let's just make sure he can get through school and he can achieve. And, and that actually really set me up well. But the bit that I found so hard in the 90s was, I was just that weird kid that wouldn't shut up. I used to butt into conversations. I, I used to personify characters that I thought were funny. So Ace Ventura <laughs> used to feature very highly in my character. So I, I was desperately trying to find ways of fitting in. And it was always a real anathema to me that none of it ever worked. I was trying really hard socially to fit in and nothing ever really worked. Not until I was 18, really, until I went, I literally took myself off for over a year traveling around the world and I reinvented myself. And I think something happened um, becoming an adult and making decisions for myself for the first time. I'd been handheld through school, didn't have an opportunity to, A, I was in the private school system and it's quite a close-knit system and my name traveled throughout the schools as the kind of the ADHD crazy <clears throat> kid. So I couldn't, I couldn't ever really um, detach from that. And so, I, yeah, I would say that, that that was a part of the experience. Having said that, now when I work with clients, adults particularly, I only work with adults um, who are late diagnosed, I'm always really fascinated by some of the workarounds that they have created for themselves without knowing that they have ADHD. That's one of the things that I find that I almost feel like I need to pay them sometimes for sessions because I'm like, that's an amazing way that you've managed to, whatever it might be, <laughs> that I never really had that because I've always known. Mm -hmm. I've never not known my ADHD. But also there has been a huge part of my journey where I've been in denial of it. So when I left university, my undergraduate, I stopped taking medication and um, I genuinely believe that I'd grown out of it which it didn't come back as in I wasn't confronted by the reality of my neurodiversity until the final year of my psychotherapy training. I burnt out of a career in the film industry. I worked up. I got really, I was working for big studios in Los Angeles. I was doing really well. It was basically a dopamine frenzy environment and I was having a great time. But I did three years where I literally didn't stop. I went from film to film to film and I completely burnt out. What were you doing in that, in that industry? Oh, I was classic ADHD. I started in stunts. I was trained to become a stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so ADHD. I then got bored 
Uh, and I also thought I'm probably going to end up with like a screw in my head because of the risk taking that I would take. I then went into Steadicam operating, which is like camera stabilization. I was fascinated like by how you said it. Polar opposites. Oh, complete opposite. Uh, then went into, oh, I did a few things. I ended up working for executive producers, like developing scripts and financing and packaging films, big films. And just, oh, yeah, I just, I, I hit a wall and I, I felt like I don't know who I am. It was like I'd got lost and I get messages from friends being like, are you still alive? Like, we haven't seen you in like eight months. Like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm in wherever, Mallorca on some beach. And like, it must be great. And I'm like, no, I've literally been working 16 hour days for like, it's that piece that, because I'm such a machine um, as an ADHD that I completely, and I didn't think I had ADHD. I thought I'd grown out of it. That wasn't a part of, part of my life that I burnt, I burnt royally. Um, I couldn't watch a film for a year. It was unbearable to not see my name going up in the credits. There was so much shame. I felt like I'd failed. That was what I felt. Yeah. So you're putting yourself in um, such a high, like I guess the pressure, like putting so much inner pressure on yourself to be succeeding and achieving and seeing that the worthiness was there sort of literally in the black oh my and white gosh. of the, the TV, you know. Yeah, yeah, that validated yeah. me. And I needed to keep having my name in credits, you know. And the thought of seeing my friends and colleagues' names like scrolling up and mine not featuring with them, because we all used to move in the same circles. Mm. We'd all go from the same productions onto other productions. It was really hard. It was really hard. I remember going into the cinema and as soon as I walked in, I went, nope. And I walked, it was like this like shame reaction of, I couldn't even push the door to go into the cinema. It was so visceral. At this point, you weren't connecting the dots that there, there was, you know, this is oh a different God. way no, of your ADHD no. showing up. It was, I guess, I mean... It didn't feature. It didn't even enter into my thinking. I mean, I can resonate with your story a little bit because my brother, my older brother was diagnosed um, in 19... 91 maybe um we lived abroad mm -hmm. at the time we and um the school that we went to was an american international school and adhd as we know in america was sort of already quite prominent and they had like a school i would guess what you'd call the senko but now but they, they had a different a different name for it mm -hmm. and they just had boys in and out in and out they were just churning out the ritalin in this american school and um, so my brother was diagnosed he was very similar to you, classic, classic ADHD, bouncing around, non-stop talking, butting in. He was renowned in circles. You were like, they would say to me, you're Adam's sister, you're Adam's sister. He was like a local celebrity. Everyone <laughs> loved him, but everyone knew exactly wow. who, what he was like and how unmanageable he was, how difficult he was to teach and how lovable he was. And everyone adored him. We are very charismatic. Very, very charismatic. And, um, but he struggled royally with school and education and went from school to school to school. Um, but he was also diagnosed at you know, a young age, at the age of 12, 13. And we only knew then in the 90s, there was this sort of like a one way of it showing up. And I guess, you know, in academia, that was it. But from a, I guess, from a social perspective or the other side of, of growing up and, and knowing how to deal with the ADHD from a mental health perspective, understanding the addiction side and the emotional dysregulation, there was so much chaos and dysfunction with it. Um, and you know, I think, I don't want to speak out of turn for my brother, but I think only as an adult, he's been able to see how ADHD shows up in, in that way. And I wonder, you talked about how you, you hear about different people being diagnosed later on in life and they had this sort of this scaffolding that they've created for themselves and that grit mm. and that resilience that we have, you know, put into place to get us through, you know, we sort of pick ourselves up again, like we think certain things happen, we pick ourselves up. But I know from a personal perspective, there's a huge amount of shame there and embarrassment that I've had to create these workarounds when I see other people that haven't had to create those workarounds. So you see it as grit and resilience. And some of us see it as, you know, there I am doing the thing behind the scenes so no one knows what I'm doing just so, you know, I can just just about yeah. scrape through this thing. Tell me a little bit about that, the work that you do with maybe yourself, clients, of how we can recognize the grit and resilience for what it is that brilliant resilience but also show ourselves the compassion for the difficulties and the challenges that we've we've gone through there's twofold i want to answer that with which is um i've 
teamed up with another amazing coach called Katie Friedman and we've developed an ICF accredited training course for people who it's a modular course which eventually could accredit you as an ICF as an ADHD coach but the um the first module is called ADHD for all and we have developed some what we call like key concepts that try and help people understand this um, experience that you're talking about here around like say the workarounds and we call it the inner world of not knowing and if you don't know that you have an ADHD a brilliantly ADHD mind you don't know what you don't know and so we tell ourselves stories about the things that we do we have no idea of some of our brilliance and the way that we've managed to flip things because we don't see it mirrored in other people because people don't go i've got adhd and this is what i no one does that you know so it's you against the world and it, you develop this inner world of trying to make sense trying to because we're meaning making creatures right so we're trying to understand this difference and it is bound often by shame shame i describe as being the emotion that mutes us it's the quieting emotion it's it's that thing where i will not let you see this it is too unbearable for the world to see and so in our adhd for all course part of the course is helping people start to see and unpack this world and normalize it i think this is a piece normalization comes and then what starts to flow with the normalization is acceptance and we need this and i think this acceptance piece is a compassionate act it's going i'm not not normal it's not i had a client say to me i realize now i'm not a failed neurotypical and it was this wonderful moment of like yes you are wonderful in your distinctions and in 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 how you see the world and um this is a client who has autism and adhd and it was a wonderful moment for her to realize like a compassionate ah oh, i don't have to continue on that treadmill of trying hard you know we have this little mantra of when we don't know, we just try harder, do more, be better, try harder, do more, be better. And we've been doing it our entire lives. And it never works. Mm. It's never worked. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful to be able to hear that in that capacity because the failed mm. neurotypical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just being able to articulate it like that where if we just try something different or we just do this today or we let's try this way and then again we fail and what's that going to keep doing to our self-esteem of picking ourselves up and and I wasn't flawed it's not my personality it's not there's not something wrong with me I used to just say that there's something wrong with me like what is wrong with me it was toxic mm. I think there is this part where you're right where something starts to change in our story about how we see ourselves in terms of i think that whole character defect piece like there's something wrong with me we say it to ourselves we might even say it out loud it becomes this binding thing that that the diagnosis can provide this it's like a glint of hope of what I, what i think is held true for so long might not be true that's quite a powerful place to to start to go maybe that isn't true because for our entire lives that is truth it becomes truth the story becomes reinforced by more and more experiences by bosses telling you that you don't get it that you're lazy that you're this that and the other P partners leaving you and you feel completely bewildered by it um getting overwhelmed going to going to gigs and then crying afterwards and what the fuck's wrong with me kind of thing it, it all reinforces this thing of and then you get the diagnosis or you read an article and so many clients haven't been diagnosed but they go i've never seen myself so clearly on the page you know um and i always say to people go and read adhd 2.0 by yes. Lynn because i said i said that is one of the most compassionate reads yeah. that you will ever have by two psychiatrists i said i i bawled my eyes out when i read that book and in fact 
So part of my story that I re-engage with ADHD was in my finalist year of psychotherapy training. I would, five years, I almost failed every paper, every essay that I had to submit, had to resubmit it. I was succeeding in everything else, all the experiential work. And then a colleague said, do you not think this might be part of your ADHD? Because they knew that that was part of my story. And I was literally like, screw off, like that isn't. And then I started thinking about it. And eventually I got re-diagnosed. And I realized, ah, uh, the unacknowledgement of this is getting in the way of, of me being able to do what I know I can do brilliantly. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear, so you got re-diagnosed. What, As an yeah, adult. So did you, was that for you, for the validation, for you to think? Do you know what it was for? It was actually so I could get meds. <laughs> it was really, it, I think I was still in quite a shame place then. And... I remember just having this moment of, I'm really, this is a lot of effort to try and get an essay written that I know will probably fail. And so I got re-diagnosed. I read, I coincided around the launch of, I think, ADHD 2.0. I read that book. I bawled my eyes out and I realized, holy, like, oh my gosh, this is me. And I've been in denial of my ADHD since I left my undergraduate and this is also probably why I left the film. Like it was this massive, big moment for me. There was a lot. I was in therapy. I was taking it to therapy. It was almost like, who the hell am I? I've been in psychotherapy training, which is basically very expensive group therapy, um, where you get everything inside you out in the opening groups. It unlocked something for me, huge. And I went on to medication. The next essay I submitted was my last essay. It was 8,000 words. And I got a distinction, wow. didn't have to resubmit. Wow. I read that essay every year to mark when I got the results back, because it's like, this is part of your acceptance. Mm. You know, remember this because you're going to forget it because you've got yes. ADHD. Yeah. And, and that is just, you know, what you're talking about is like evidence. We, we, we draw evidence from all the times that we failed but then we need mm. to draw the evidence of when we have actually succeeded when we have done well when yeah. you know that imposter yeah. syndrome that just wants to keep telling us that we're not good enough that you shouldn't really be here that you've like managed to wing it and you're not really deserving of this of this accolade or this um, qualification or whatever it is that we like to tell ourselves so the fact that you are constantly reminding yourself you're reminding your brain that actually you did do this and that medication was just that kind of the bridge just to get there. It's like we have tried it was constantly bridge, yeah. to climb mountains and, and everything. And we're not, you know, we haven't got the equipment. But then we get the equipment. You know, you don't hear anyone saying, oh, I shouldn't have really climbed that mountain, you know, with those shoes and that those hooks. You know, so. Just to caveat that, because I don't want to communicate something about medication being like the key to everything here, because I need to there's an intersection here about some of the amazing setups of my education, which helped me to, I already had quite a lot of skills and workarounds into how to write the essay, but it was so effortful that there was a massive, it was like I was wading through treacle. I could wade through the treacle, but it was really, really hard. The medication, because I already had the skills to write the essay, it just meant that it wasn't treacle I was wading through. It was water it was easier to flow through it so I could does that make sense I don't want people to be under the disillusionment oh if I just take meds I can do these things that's not the case we that's why we have coaching is to work with an ADA hopefully an ADHD -er who is a coach who can empathically listen and attune to you and have a sense about you and also to help you find a we as coaches celebrate your workarounds we are celebrators right we're carriers of hope so to reinforce that positivity because I hear it all the time and my clients don't hear it so I keep reinforcing it but also to provide that for some people who didn't have some of those amazing support structures at the beginning because they weren't diagnosed a coach can help with that as well you know so the winning combination is being in a supportive environment hopefully with a coach or someone that can and if medication is for you then then that as well but it isn't for everyone. I have clients who really don't get on a medication and that's okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast of the pro-choice of medication, but it not being that, you know, the magic bullet. Um, and yeah. I talk very openly about, you know, I don't take medication at the moment. I have done. I don't at the moment. I um, 
have created a lot of workarounds and I my lifestyle and my holistic and well-being practice is is like literally my priority that keeps me going through work and, and being a parent and, and all of that but I also know that I'm very privileged because of the way I work and how I work and I work from home and I don't have a commute and I don't work in a busy office and all these different things so it's so individualized isn't it to, to what what works and what doesn't work and how we create I'm just interrupting today's episode because I want to let you know about a brand new workshop that I am planning. It's called Tapping Into Your ADHD Gold and it's happening on Tuesday the 14th of March at 12pm UK time. Now I speak to so many of you and so many of you tell me that you feel like there's unfulfilled potential, that if you'd known about your ADHD you would have done things differently. And now with this new diagnosis, we see life and our desires through a new lens. I want to help you tap into that goal that has always, always been there. And sometimes with ADHD, we don't know how to get out of our heads. We do often come to a point of self-sabotage. And I really want in this workshop to help guide you through those limiting beliefs, those old stories that have been holding you back, the knowledge that you didn't know that was there and help you come out of that stuck loop into those amazing desires, incredible ideas that you have and get them into action. Now, this can be about your career. This can be about your lifestyle. It can be about anything that you want to start living to that full potential. So if you are interested, this is a new way of working with me. This is a two hour workshop, by the way. So we will have a break in between, but this is going to be quite deep, powerful work. We're going to be going into the old beliefs, the old stuff, and we're going to clear and we're going to release. We're going to use some EFT. We're going to really get into the nooks and crannies of what you believe has been holding you back. And then we're going to start using some really powerful visualizations, manifesting desires, talking about the things that we want and really coming up with an action plan, practical steps and ideas. So this can be anything with regards to a business, anything entrepreneurial, but it can also just be about changing your life. Now you understand your ADHD brain better. And included in this prize, I'm offering an accountability live group session with me the week after. So this is going to be another hour with me really going into the practical steps. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you want to bounce some ideas off with the other group members and really get you over that line. So it's called Tapping Into Your Gold. It's on the 14th of March. It's 12 till 2. And then the week later, it's just going to be an hour. So that's three hours with me. Go onto my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk or head to the show notes and all the details are there. And just going on to what you mentioned about ADHD 2.0, um, Dr. Halliwell, I did an amazing episode with him and it was Oh my literally... gosh, I've, I've got, I'm so, oh, that's amazing. I'm so envious you got to chat yeah, with him. Yeah, I got to chat with him. He was amazing. And it was after I did a five-day course with him and he did this amazing strength-based approach course. And it was a live course and people could either show up and do it in America. And I was like trying to work out all these different ways where I could actually sit in the classroom with him. And it just didn't work out. It was the middle of August and you know, the school holidays. Uh, but there was the alternative of doing it online. And it was like four or five hours every day online. But when I say he was so captivating and so amazing with the ADHD audience, he was just amazing. And um we connected during that time and I, I, you know, I was very cheeky and said to him, listen, I'd love for you to come onto the podcast. And he mm. agreed. And so we've had, we had this amazing conversation, but that book, I totally agree with you. I, I said to him, it's on my desk the whole time. It's the one I would keep referring back to. It's the one that has met, given me the most hope with ADHD. Yeah, It's given me that hope have- and it's helped my clients know that there's hope. Um, He's just a wonderful human and and his I love his philosophy because he is there's spirituality there, there's faith, but there's also like a lot of practicalities. So that for me is when I'm having a bad day and I feel really like despondent and fuck off ADHD. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah like open open up, have a little read, and that book always kind of brings me back to to feeling a bit more maybe just neutral about ADHD as opposed to feeling so kind of like, you know, oh. That's a wonderful compassion. I think we need to nuance um, compassionate acts for ourselves. So I think when we think about self-compassion 
and this is one of the things I talk about in my self-compassion course, is I think a lot of the, there's quite a lot of misunderstanding, I think, or not misunderstanding, but as ADHDers, I think we switch off to these things quite quickly um, because there's such a strong negativity bias. And if anything is possibly good or positive, we've already already discounted it. And because we've got such speedy brains that it's like, nah, you know, we might have done like, we might have downloaded that app that was marketed to us on Facebook and we downloaded it. And because it didn't work, I've thrown out mindfulness and self-compassion. And, and part of that is just because that's just how we're wired. But I think... The, for me, I would say that self-compassion has been as impactful as medication, if not more, because we can learn lots of great things about how to work with our ADHD and, and thrive with ADHD. But I think it's, there's a deeper work that's, that's transformative when you really look at how I respond to life, like not just what I do but how I respond when things don't go so well, how I respond when things, even how do I respond when I win? How do I celebrate a win, right? Do I brush it off and go on to the next thing? Classic ADHD behavior, right? Or do I savor the win? That's a compassionate act. You know, you don't have to be sat with your legs crossed meditating. It's just a way. We have to find our ways of doing it, but we do have to, understand that it's quite challenging for us to start to see ourselves clearly and that's the essence of mindfulness is like how do i be here can i be here really here that's mindfulness you having a bit of a shit day and then going do you know what i just need to dip into 2.0 you're being here how do i be here now that's what i need that's a compassionate act you know it's a and i think we again we have to just normalize you need to find your way with this. No one's, no one's going, I can't tell you. I can support you and try and hear you, but it's going to come from you. Otherwise, you're never going to keep it up. Yeah. I think the being present with ADHD is the ultimate. It's like that. Mm. It's the thing that we're all trying to aspire to. And it sounds so easy to other people, but to be here now, to be present, to be mindful when we are risk assessing, hypervigilant, worrying, ruminating, overthinking, we've already disregarded something that we thought about in two seconds. It's, it's such hard work to be mindful. But I do believe that we, the more we have that awareness, the more we know about it, the more we understand. It is possible in small bouts, but we just have to keep bringing ourselves back, mm. bring ourselves back. Katie and I developed for the training this um, concept. We call it systematic pausing because pausing is one thing. It's like saying to someone, just be kind to yourself. And you're like, yeah, that's an Instagram post, darling. Fuck off. We kind of have to embed some of this stuff into our everyday life. And so it has to become systematic in its nature if we're going to stick at something. And so we came up with this concept of the systematic pause, which has a compassionate kind of focus to it. And that you can systematically pause habitually i.e i naturally want to do yoga at whatever time in the morning every day that's a habitual systematic pause we have in the moment systematic pauses where you kind of go hang on a minute like what's going on here that's hard but it takes practice and then we have we haven't really come up with a name with it. i call it the daring systematic pause which is where you you look back on a situation and go what was going on there? What if I had paused there? What might that have enabled me to? And it becomes this way in which you start to, with kindness, allow yourself, permission yourself to pause in different ways in different parts of your life. For some people, the idea of doing yoga at 8 a.m. every morning is like, no. And nor should you aspire to that if that's not what's for you. But for some people, that is a fundamental way of setting up their day. It's a habitual systematic pause that they need. For me, the in the moment stuff is really, really important for me to be able to go, hang on a minute. I need a moment. I'm going into overwhelm. I do it when I unmask my working memory, when I'm speaking and then I forget my train of thought. Instead of trying to keep talking to find it, I just go, do you know what? I've lost thread. That's a pause. 
because there's a risk, right, that if I do that, you're going to think, I don't know, I'm stupid because I've, because I've forgotten my thought. So if I keep going, I'm going to get more and more exhausted. I'm going to get more and more hard on myself. And it's that kind of systematic thing of allowing ourselves these pauses in different parts of our days, in different situations. And the compassionate piece, particularly when I coach around this, is can we experiment with pausing? Can we try different things? It's an experiment because it might not go the way you intend, by the way, and that's okay. Can we stay open to what you learn? Like, because we're building this together for you. You know, we're building some kind of a way in which you find these compassionate moments, these pauses, you know? Yeah, definitely. I'm constantly reminding myself to just take a breath, to pause, because it's almost like compensating for the fact that our brains are on like fast forward mode, you know, like I listen to all my podcasts yeah. on, you know, double speed and that's pretty, yes, me too. <laughs> you know, and that's just pretty <laughs> much how my life is and how my brain is, but it's not healthy. This is why we get, you know, we're being burnt out. This is why we're exhausted. This is why we're overwhelmed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we have to compensate for the, the fast forwardness of our life and, and take these pauses. Um, you know, this is why I literally just do some silent tapping, just, five minutes, two minutes of just tapping, calming, regulating really does help. But even if it's just two or three breaths, literally in the car, before I get out the car to get into the house, just that alone, that reset button. So yeah, I mean, there's so much there. Most, I've got another concept I want to throw at you here that we talk about in the course, which is um, a lot of my clients um, kind of exec, exec level and they are like machines they are insanely powerful human beings who have achieved the most amazing things but they all burnt they're all burnt out they're all at the end of their at their rope and there's a little con another concept that we talk about in the course which is called the sprinter marathon runner which is that we are sprinters in a marathon runner world we have these really incredibly powerful very finely tuned brains, right? Who is it who talks about us having Ferrari engines of a, engines of a brain with bicycle brakes? It might have been Hallowell. Yeah, either Hallowell or Racy. Yeah, and I love that because it makes me realize I have to pay attention and I have to, you wouldn't get your regular run-of-the-mill mechanic to service a Ferrari engine. And you wouldn't take a Ferrari engine like down some long winding road. Like they're designed for these flat, fast, straight roads, right? And that's normal. That's an environment where they and their engine goes for it. That's us. But if we don't know that, then we are sprinting a marathon. Right? <laughs> we will burn. <laughs> Guaranteed. And that's quite an important piece, isn't it? Like, so for me, I break up my week or my days into sprints. So I'll see, like, say, three clients back to back. Hyperfocus, sprint. I'm in the fast lane. I then have to have these transitional shifts, like the car has to slow down, the engine's going to tick and it's going to be warm because it's going to take me a while for my brain to disengage from that thing to whatever it is that I have to do next. Maybe I'm going home to bath my children and I've just seen three clients back to back. What do I do? How do I pause? What's the compassionate act? Particularly if I don't know that that's where my brain is wired. The knowing piece allows me to experiment. So I say to my wife, because I very thought, well, she's in New Zealand now, but um, we used, my office is literally just around the corner from my, from my house. I'd say to her, okay, so when I get home, I need like half an hour. Don't ask me anything, basically, because you're not going to get much from me. I need that space to transition. That's a compassionate act. That's a pause that's a habitual pause that I put into my day. And then I'm here. I'm with you and I'm all ears. I don't know. I just, I, I think I went off on one. No, there, sorry. no. And, and, and I mean, listen, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking how I put that in my day. But before I was diagnosed, I was intuitively trying to do that because intuitively I knew that there was this like low lying irritability. There was frustration. Mm. I was in a bad mood, emotional dysregulation. Like I couldn't, I didn't really have the language for it, but I knew that there was something going on that made me very shouty with my children. So yeah. I just had to make sure that there was a pause. There was a buffer between doing the thing that was 
stimulating my brain so much to the point where I was like, I just need to close my eyes and sit in a dark room, which isn't really, you know, reality. But now I understand it. And I, I think I do give myself that compassionate pause where I go, right, I'm going to take the dog for a quick walk around the block before I do this. I'm going to go and have a bath before I sit down and, and we have dinner. Or I'm going to do this thing because I know that I'm a better person, parent, partner, all of that. Where mm. beforehand, I think I would have just been like, you're so precious. You're not, you haven't got very much energy. Like you're not very good at this parenting thing, like all of this. But now I'm just like, so what, what's half an hour bath? Like a half an hour bath. I put my magnesium salts, my oils. I have a lovely time. Oh yes. Preaching <laughs> my language. I love the magnesium. Yeah. Balance. And then I'm just like <laughs> a much calmer, nicer version of myself. So I just think we need to just lean into the, the the ways and the things that we find helpful, you know, whatever that pause is, whatever that compassion is, because we achieve a, a hell of a lot in a very short amount of time. You know, that sprinting that an ADHD brain does is very powerful. You know, you're talking about your clients being like hugely powerful, they're machines. We can be machines with this hyperfocus, but it also saps a huge amount of energy. I guess, you know, going back to that analogy of the cars, like we are revving our engines and draining the petrol tank on another level. Whereas, mm. you know, we have to just kind of like just settle for a little bit and, and kind of re-engage in a different way. So, yeah. There's another piece here as well. I was just, I have a client who she is, um, she's a sales director for a big American company. She's got ADHD, autism, and she's got bipolar. She only works 50% of the year and she outdoes her peers like double. Her, her targets are double and she always beats them and she only works half of the year. And oh, my working memory, it's just gone. It's like it's fallen off. It's fallen off. I was going to go somewhere with that and I have no idea where I was going with that. That's so interesting. That's me being compassionate. I'm like... And I've lost it. It's lost. You're recognizing it. Yeah. Yeah, I I was setting, I was setting something up and I wanted to introduce this, but the point that I wanted to make with the introduction, that's that working memory bit. I haven't been able to hold it. So I, I I, I was going to say, I apologize, but this is, this is normalizing. I've got something to say. It's gone. And then, (laughs) yeah, that's normal. My daughter does this all the time. She's mummy, mummy, mummy. I'm like, yes. She's, Oh, I forgotten what I was going to say. And she's, you know, she's with, she's got ADHD. So I, I'm, you know, I'm constantly trying to normalize that. But if we can model to our children that compassion, they can hopefully give it to themselves and not talk to themselves, maybe how we spoke to ourselves growing up. Um, mm. I remembered, remembered it. I knew and you would. <laughs> you, a lot of these execs, this is why I was introducing this um, client that I used to see, which is because we've got such speedy brains, and we don't realize that that's really quite phenomenal. We almost think that that's how everyone is. That if you can imagine that we can get what a lot of people can get done in a day in much less time. And so if you can imagine that you don't know about ADHD and that's your brain, that you develop this core belief of nothing is good enough because you're sprinting a marathon and you're trying to do essentially double the workload because that's that's what you think is accepted and normal and so there's something about understanding actually how powerful my brain is and starting to take stock as to what it is you're actually producing what it is that you're actually creating because it is phenomenal and sometimes it's actually saying how much time did it take me to do that piece of work and then ask somebody else how long you think it would take them sometimes you'd be really shocked at how long they might anticipate to do that piece of work. That's the power of the 150%, the speedy brain. So if you're saying to yourself, I need to be revving it for a whole day, and then we tell the story that we're not good enough because we should be able to do that for a whole day. No, that's not okay. You need to work in an environment that helps you thrive with your speedy brain. That means you shouldn't pack out a whole day with back-to-back meetings. Yeah. No. Yeah. Get rid of the busyness. You're, you're not going to get the best out of yourself and the team or whatever if that's the way you live your work life. Just so I, I just think that there's something about this core belief that we tell ourselves about ourselves. We haven't met our potential. That's a classic one. That what I'm doing is not enough. It's more than enough. 
If we're conditioned to be told that we have to work eight hours, nine hours a day, but we can get it done in three hours, we need to be protecting our brains as well. You know, protecting our mental health because the way we work is different as opposed to being on the back foot. It's almost like we have kind of got like a bit of a key that unlocks a different door and it's like okay let's protect that I mean you just that's what you were just saying there reminded me of I used to work in PR years and years ago used to work in consumer PR for a really fast-paced agency and we used to release I mean this again this is sort of like the early 2000s we used to release all sorts of stories you know crazy stories and stunts and we had the opportunity to speak to all the nationals and all the big papers and and get on the news and then there was the regionals and that was a really boring job I hated speaking to the regionals sorry anyone that is a regional news reporter Uh, (laughs) I can feel it from you like oh it was like that was not enough of a dopamine hit for me and so Mm. I would go in there with the story and just think right I've sod this I'm going to pack a punch and I'm going to call the sun I'm going to call you know the mirror and the the times and all of that and I'm going to get this story you know on a a big page and I did that I would do that like in an hour and I get like three people going yeah want the story and my boss would be like what do you mean like how have you just done that in an hour because in my head, I was like, I do not want to sit there going through 50 regionals and send it to the Yorkshire Post and the this and the that. I want like the times to take it, the sun to take it, and then I'm done. I can, <laughs> but that wasn't the case. And so I would burn out. Um, but yeah, that analogy just came to me because that's pretty much our brains, isn't it? It is. There's only, there's only so much. I use this analogy because people go, oh, what's working memory? Um, it plays into everything working memory. You know, it's not long, it's not short-term memory. It's this memory that we have when we're in the moment, taking in something, holding it in our brains for long enough to agitate it and then do something with it. But we have a post-it note size working memory. Someone who doesn't have ADHD has an A4 piece. They can actually hold this information for longer to process it and do something. You're like, wait, I've got to contact the regionals. I have to wait for how long? And then I have to coordinate all this and then action that. Your post-it note is like... Full. (laughs) Full. But if we flip this for a moment, that's why we're so speedy. You create this perfect environment. What happens with our working memories? We go boom, 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 boom. We can go from A to B in lightning speed if the conditions are right because our working memory is set up to do that. Someone once sent we are hunters in a farmer world. This is normal. That's why we're great in a crisis. I've got a client of mine who's an ER doctor. He's a, um, not an ER, uh, A&E doctor, um, surgeon. And people are like, how can he have ADHD? I'm like, that's his hyperfocus. He can get A to B in you have no idea lightning speed. You know, people who are in like crisis management, unbelievable working memories because they have to make decisions they haven't got a lot of memory on this notes but they have to make a decision fast boom 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 they can get through those post-it notes like you've no idea yeah so why we're great in a crisis <laughs> well it's one of the reasons i think yeah totally. um that's powerful when you really realize huh okay this is my brain it's fascinating, Alex. It's absolutely fascinating. And I think, you know, you've got so much to teach people. I think you need to tell people about your course, your training, send people to the website, tell everyone how they can find you. Okay. So, um, yeah, the, the best way at the moment, just because we're still trying to build this um, and we're really excited is we've just got our first module accredited by the ICF, the International Coaching Federation. It's called Goldmine, um, the Goldmine Institute. Um, and whether you're, let's say you're an established coach and you're looking at specializing to become an ADHD coach, you could take our training pathway. If you have no coach training at all, you could also join us and take our coach training pathway. Or you could be not interested at all in coaching and just want to learn more about your brain. Or maybe you've got a partner who's got ADHD and you want to journey understanding that there's also a pathway for that too. So we've tried to create something as flexible, as modular as possible, but it all meets the accountability of the ICF credentialing standards. We want to do things excellently, Uh, not perfectly, but we want to be accountable to excellence um, and have integrity. So ADHD for all module starts in February and it will start again in the summer. So what I would suggest is to go to 
goldmineneurodiversity.com and that will be the place for all the information. We will be launching uh, a whole new website, but we are two people desperately trying to get something launched. Um, one from the UK, Katie's from the UK, and I will be in New Zealand, so it's quite a feat. <laughs> um, so, and how long is the course? So the foundational module is eight weeks, and then the second module is called ADHD Empowered. We take all the learning and the knowing, and we help you essentially rewrite your story, reauthor your stories in ADHD. Um, and the third module is the coaching module. And that's a longer module. That's uh, 25 weeks. So we've got eight week module, a second, another eight week module, and then a 25 week module. So yeah. And the self-compassion work stuff that I do is just ADHDselfcompassion.com. And that's just the self-pace. So you can do that at your own pace online with videos. Whereas the uh, ADHD for all training is Zoom online uh, with small cohorts of up to 12 people working together, understanding their ADHD, getting empowered by the ADHD and either going on to become coaches or just taking all that learning and going into their workplaces, going into their relationships, their spheres of influence um, from that empowered place. Um, So yeah, anybody could take our training. Literally anybody could take our training. Well, thank you so much for that, Alex. I'm going to make sure it all goes on the show notes so people can, you know, have a real nosy and see what resonates with them. But I really appreciate your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And um, I hope thank you so much for having me. I really (laughs) appreciate, I feel really honoured to be be asked. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And hopefully we can do this again because I feel like we've got more more to talk about, more post-its to talk about. (laughs) I would love that. That would be fun. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.